Welcome back to another episode of Mastering Retail, a podcast brought to you by Digital Commerce at Essential. In our last episode, you heard about paid search. For this episode, we're talking about the flip side of that, which is organic search. When we say organic search, we're talking about all of the search results you see when you search a term that are not supported with ad spend and are therefore surfacing in your grid of results organically. We'll get into everything that goes into how your organic results appear and in what order, but a good way of thinking about organic search is to think about what exactly you need to feed the algorithm to give it what it wants. I want like a really fresh, well-marbled ribeye that was just butchered to show up at my doorstep. Not that type of food. We'll leave it to our guests to go over what we should really feed the algorithm and why, and we'll also learn about his three key tips for winning in organic search. Before we do that, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Emma Irwin, your host for Mastering Detail, and my job for this series has been to learn absolutely everything I can about Walmart so that I can give you the knowledge you need to win on walmart.com too. Enough about me. Let's meet our guest for today. So my name is Ryan Monaghan. I'm the Vice President of Insights and Strategy. And what that means is we have access to a lot of different data streams. And my team's job is to take that data and translate it into actionable strategies for our clients. What's so cool about Ryan is that he worked on the Walmart supplier side of the business for quite some time. And now he gets to help suppliers understand the digital side of the business. My career up to this point, I spent about 10 years in the Walmart and Sam's Club vendor community uh, in a variety of sales category management and analytics roles. And that really paved the way for me to come over to the e-commerce side and help guide companies like the ones I used to work for into the digital age. What I've learned over the past two years working in the digital space is that size, sophistication, level of resources, budgets don't always correlate to a great e-commerce strategy. The most sophisticated companies still need help, and we've become very adept at providing that help and tailoring it to their specific business needs. Before we roll into organic search, I asked him my set of recurring questions for this series. First real question for you, the last thing that you purchased from Walmart probably a protein or a vegetable. <laughs> Since a lot of my shopping is done, when you, when you say purchase from Walmart, purchase from a physical store, like I yeah, actually carried it. That going to be the follow-up question. <laughs> I do a lot of grocery shopping on the Walmart app because it's fantastic and the algorithm's great. It provides very relevant search results. <laughs> <laughs> but I do enjoy going to physical stores. I like to cook. It's one of my hobbies. So I'm picky about my produce and my proteins. I do enjoy kind of hand selecting those. So I'd say most of the things that I carry out of a physical store are the ones that I want specifically to, to go to prepare a meal, you know, with, with fresh produce and, and proteins. All right. Last question before we really get into it. I'm going to ask it now, but you're going to think about it throughout this entire interview, and then we'll circle back to it at the end. But something that's been on your digital wish list doesn't have to be with Walmart, but something that just sits in a cart, maybe it's even like a mental cart that you just won't actually buy. And we'll circle back on why you won't actually just convert on that thing. It's going to be tough. Uh, I buy a whole bunch of stuff online. <laughs> and I have a whole bunch. I have my personal computer is just tabs of things that I'm probably never going to buy, but right. they just sit there and usually it comes down to price. But OK, we're talking organic search today. What does that mean? Organic search refers to the retailer's algorithm taking different cues, whether it be historical performance, current setup of the item, future indicators of performance, and putting those all together in a formula that's unique to that retailer to determine what they think the shopper wants to buy. 
that's a very simple explanation, but the elements, those cues that they take from the data that they have about their shoppers, about their products, about their categories, about their stores, about their website, all goes into this mixing pot of, of what's called the algorithm. And like I said, each retailer has their own perspective on how to predict the future. They all have different types of data. They all have different types of environments that they're trying to solve that question for of, okay, I know what the shopper looked at yesterday, but what is that product or that category or that trend that is next on their mind? What's in their cart that they haven't converted on yet, but they might tomorrow if we change this one factor or, the, or a combination of factors? Walmart has the most robust data about its shoppers in their four brick and mortar walls of any corporation, retailer, entity in the world. They're, they're incredibly data rich. And all of that data from shopper behavior, both in store and online, goes into this algorithm, this black box. And that is what's used to determine when I search paper towels, where does my item come up? Do suppliers, do they have any way with like without an agency like White Spider helping them out, is there any way for them to really figure out how to understand this algorithm? Suppliers and other agencies alike can use publicly available data, the search results that anybody can call up on walmart.com on their computer. They can mine that data. They can A-B test. And that's generally how insights are derived because, well, like I said, it's, the algorithm is a black box. Walmart is not saying this is the way to affect organic search. Everybody's trying to answer that question. And they're all doing it in different ways. We know that in e-commerce, search is how consumers find the products they are looking for. In a store, you would physically search for a product by walking around and reading signs. But online, you just type something into a search bar. I asked Ryan about how this translates into differences between the Walmart and Amazon customer. So nearly everyone in America has stepped foot in a Walmart before. And whether you've bought something or not, you have this perception of Walmart being a physical entity. And that perception extends to the shopping journey online. With the very few exceptions, nobody's ever stepped foot into a physical Amazon store. So their perception of that shopping journey is already different as soon as they choose to log on to Amazon.com as opposed to Walmart.com. When somebody walks into a Walmart store, they're used to navigating all the assortment of goods in the entire box down to the item that they ultimately want to buy or are intending to buy. And they do that through really a hierarchical navigation. If you want milk, you have to first figure out where the dairy section is, or at least the refrigerated section. Uh, and then from there, you have to find the milk section. And then you narrow that down to, do I want 1% or whole milk? And then even further, you narrow that down to, do I want almond milk or soy milk? And that's where the specific combination of attributes that equal the product that you end up converting on come together to create a, a connection between a shopper and an item. Since nobody's ever, very few people have ever stepped foot into an Amazon physical store, they're comfortable with saying, the world is at my fingertips and I need to type words into a box to start to refine that. There's no connection to that physical shelving that guides their purchase decision. Um, that's why long tail keywords on Amazon, very specific search terms on Amazon, have more, in general, more search frequency than they do on Walmart. That's why the, the Amazon shopper is comfortable buying a brand they've never heard of because if the attributes of that product fit 
the requirements in their head, brand is very, very low on the consideration set. They're looking for this combination of attributes that equal the widget that they want to buy. Conversely, at Walmart, brands are ever present on the shelf. Brand is, is something that's in your face as you're looking at that physical shelf, and therefore brand equity is higher on walmart.com. This is why category ubiquitous non-branded search terms on walmart.com have a higher concentration of search frequency than they do on Amazon. With all of that new knowledge, let's get into Ryan's three key suggestions for success in organic search on walmart.com. We're going to get into your three things, three suggestions, tips for succeeding in organic search on Walmart. And so your first one was understanding where the shopper is. What does this mean? It's understanding how often certain phrases and keywords get typed into that search box and using that knowledge to optimize your products for the highest amount of traffic. I'll give you a quick example there. Allergy medicine and allergy pills. To you and I, that describes the exact same thing. It could be a 30-count box of Claritin. Both of those terms are synonymous with that single product. The reality is that people overwhelmingly search for allergy medicine inside of allergy pills. That is the example that I'm talking about of uh, knowing where your shopper is. And words that are synonymous in our heads, in our everyday speech, have really different meanings, implications, weights, and values in the digital world, in the world of, of the organic search algorithm. Understanding how the American public chooses to navigate to allergy medicine or paper towels or ketchup is the first step in making sure your products are visible in those spaces. I get the question a lot of times, what about this really obscure keyword? Nine times out of 10, when we look at our research on Walmart, that really obscure keyword isn't search. It's not, doesn't have the tangible volume behind it to be worth pursuing as an optimization strategy. Often this is your top item should be competing for the keyword that describes your category, milk. Yeah, you You'd think. Ketchup, yeah. paper towels, right? It seems almost too simple to be intelligent, but there are nuances to it. Your top item should be competing for that top obvious term. Now, what about your least popular item, right? It's better to be at the top of page one on an infrequently searched term than it is to be on page 15 of a frequently searched term. So that's where our recommendations and strategy and, and tactics hit home for suppliers as it pertains to their full portfolio of brands and, and items. Suppliers have access to this search data within some form of Walmart portal. SKU Ninja is, is really the best source of that data. We have prioritized keyword lists that visually give you those cues for how much does the, the first search term in the category matter and how much does each subsequent term matter. Jumping in here to give you one more line on what SKU Ninja actually is. And it's White Spider's tech platform built specifically for walmart.com, where subscribers can find all kinds of insights and exclusive Walmart data. Back to Ryan. Often what we're seeing is that category ubiquitous non-branded keyword has more weight than every other keyword you could think of combined. And it maybe it says something about the way, you know, Americans translate ideas of what they want in their head to what they end up typing in the search box. But it goes back to what are the different strategies for Walmart versus Amazon? A lot of volume and popularity is concentrated into a handful of keywords and they're very competitive. And that's why partnering with somebody like White Spider can, of course, we can tell you, you know, that 
ketchup is really popular as opposed to vegan ketchup. But at the same time, what do you do about it? You want to make sure that if you make a vegan ketchup, it's at the top of that search grid. But for everybody that's making, you know, your average Heinz ketchup, how do you stand out in that sea of competition, knowing that that keyword is so incredibly important to your business? How do you optimize for it? And how do you make that search algorithm feel like your item is really popular? Even if it hasn't been in the past, how do you tell it that today there's a really good chance that if the person that searches ketchup, if they see my item, they're going to buy it? Gotcha. Does the, like, whatever's behind the algorithm, does it ever mess up? Like, is it, since it's not a human, but does it, does it ever give you something that's wrong or? Absolutely. And, you know, wrong correlates to irrelevant, I would say. And that's, gotcha. that's the main goal of the algorithm is to serve relevant items. Walmart knows it's going to sell ketchup. It doesn't care so much what brand of ketchup it sells. They just want to make sure that everybody who searches ketchup buys something. And that's that's how relevance is, is assigned and associated. But to answer your question of does it ever mess up? Yeah, definitely. It, it is a robot that is programmed by humans. You'd think that robots are are perfect, but the humans that are creating the logic that the robot reads and then executes can have different motivations. They can have different perspectives on what is relevant. They can have different guesses on what that shopper is looking for tomorrow. Teams of people, of data scientists, of software engineers, of merchants, of uh, marketers come together to feed their in their varying perspectives into this robot. And the robot's job is to weight those appropriately, take all those inputs and spit out a very concise set of search results for every keyword, every day, every hour of the day. So I would say the algorithm executes its inputs perfectly. It's still up to the humans to determine the weights of each of those inputs and how to, how to define relevance and how to prioritize different tactics and metrics and goals. You want to find a specific product online. Do you ever use SKU Ninja to help you out and like figure out what term exactly to search? Because <laughs> I know uh, that. In my <laughs> everyday life, I try to be an everyday shopper and kind of turn my work brain off. But I absolutely can say that my knowledge of algorithms and studying the Walmart retailing algorithm has made me think of things differently. So that was Ryan's first suggestion, which was understanding where your customer is. Let's get into his second suggestion. All right, let's roll into number two, which is have a content strategy in place that appeals to both the search engine and the shopper. What does this mean? How do you do it? Absolutely. The first insight was allergy medicine gets searched more often than allergy pills. But that tells you how to get your item in front of more shoppers. But that doesn't tell you how to make more of those shoppers convert at a higher rate. So that content strategy to appeal to the search algorithm is fairly simple, like give it what it wants. <laughs> and it's it's including those keywords in your title and your shopper facing content. How to appeal to the, the shopper and in, in, in boosting conversion rates is a very qualitative versus quantitative exercise. Each category is different. Walmart is creating different quality standards by category. If I'm trying to buy ketchup, I want a shot of the nutrition label. If I'm buying a piece of furniture, I'd like some instructions on how to assemble that once I get home. Presence of content is one thing, and presence of content is definitely SEO focused. Quality of content and the definition of quality content varies by category, but it ultimately is determined by the shopper. 
did I like what you put in front of me? Did you give me enough information? Did you give me confidence that this item is exactly what I'm looking for? That's the type of shopper facing content that is constantly evolving, right? Standards on both quantitative and qualitative should be checked and rechecked and evaluated and, and evolved. But the shopper behaviors in terms of what they want to see from an individual PDP are moving more rapidly than the search volume on ketchup versus gluten-free ketchup. What would happen if you only focused on one type of content, I suppose, like one that appeals to the search engine or one that appeals to the consumer? Is there really a difference? Like, could you really hurt yourself if you only focused on one? I think you could. Let me let me try to answer each piece of the question and, and let's see if if uh, if you can really hurt yourself. So if you only focus on search engine optimization, you're going to increase visibility, but you might not increase purchases. Okay. Therefore, it's possible to degrade your conversion rate. If you only focus on shopper-facing content optimization, you may in increase your conversion rate, but without the incremental volume, you're not going to sell incrementally more. We really do need a blend of both optimizations for increased visibility and increased confidence from the shopper that this is the item they're looking for. This brings us to Ryan's third point. So far, we've gotten that we need to understand where the customer is, we need to have a strategy that appeals to both the customer and the search engine. And Ryan's last point is that suppliers need to think about their portfolio stratification. This refers to the top items in your portfolio needing that top level of support, and then your levels of support can trickle down from there. Absolutely. As we talk about the keywords that attract the most shoppers, those are the most valuable. And the items at your top of your portfolio should be at the top of page one for the highest volume keyword. Everybody's trying to get there. Clients come to us all the time to say, help get my items more visibility. More visibility is, is a relative term, right? Again, your top item, your most popular item is already popular. Can we get it more popular? Of course we can. We can, we can elevate its position in that search grid, in that digital shelf that a lot of people are looking at. But when we talk about a portfolio strategy, I wish I had a magic wand, but I don't, and I can't wave it to make all of your products instantly more popular. I have to work with the current popularity of your products and removing any barriers between the history of the item and the search algorithm that is that is processing and parsing that. What that comes down to, how it manifests itself, is the head of your portfolio should be at the top of the search grid in head queries. Then you have the torso and tail. When you look at your the middle part of your portfolio, you should be trying to get that to page one of less competitive, tighter assorted, sometimes lower search volume keywords. Again, it's better to be on page one of, an, of a keyword with a thousand searches than it is to be on page 20 of a keyword with a hundred thousand searches. When we talk about like the top items in a portfolio in this instance, is that we're determining that basically on sales volume kind of at the more important part of that? Yes. If you asked a supplier or a manufacturer or a marketer what their top items are, their head sorts their sales in descending order and picks those top couple of items. Everybody knows their superhero items, their the linchpins of their their portfolio. It's those untapped potential items that I think our strategies can really help you elevate. I was going to follow up with that is that do you ever see products within a supplier's portfolio that you're like, I think this has more potential than you might think so. Therefore, let's try and do what we can to elevate that product. Yeah, the items with specific attributes that appeal to a smaller subset of the general population 
can always use more exposure, but more exposure to the people that actually want to buy that the attributes of that product. So again, it goes back to content attribution, giving the algorithm all of the information that it needs to understand what your product is. But then from the supplier side, the strategy is to fish in different ponds, right? If somebody is looking for a, a specific dietary need, it's tough to sell that to the audience of people that are looking for the generic product. As search terms get more specific, they include attributes in the keyword. There's generally a smaller subset of the population that is searching for those. But if they're explicitly showing their desire to buy a product with that attribute and you make that product with that attribute, you really need to make sure that connection happens. We've now covered Ryan's three key suggestions for success, but I asked him if there was anything else about organic search that he wanted to get out there, anything else that suppliers need to know. What he told me was that suppliers need to understand Walmart's perception of relevancy. The key to suppliers understanding Walmart's perception of relevancy and how to increase organic search performance is tied to understanding how they are trying to, how the retailer is trying to go to market. Like we talked about, Walmart is a house of brands. They are a warehouse of goods that's they're very good at arranging those products in a physical location to guide a shopper journey and to add items to the basket or to get an uh, get a shopper to trade up or to buy multiples of of a of an item that they've already bought take that store walk knowledge that brick and mortar expertise and apply it to the digital shelf it is is one of the i'd say overarching themes that i would i would encourage suppliers to to bake into not only the brick and mortar strategy as we talked about those worlds converging, but as it come when it comes to specific digital optimization, you're still operating in a store that has categories and has products that have attributes. And you're still looking at a digital shelf that is prioritizing certain items and offering others. Equate the digital shelf to the in-store modular and think about what is the first product the consumer sees as they walk up to that shelf, as they hit enter in the search box, and try to understand which items need to be in the strike zone of the modular and need to be at the top of search results, and which items have the opportunity to have incremental benefit from incremental increases in traffic. If you show a shopper something that they don't want, it damages not only the brand reputation, but the retailer's reputation and the perception of both the brand and the retailer in the shopper's eyes. And that can be detrimental for your business with the retailer, as well as your, your brand's interaction with the shopper outside of that retailer. Consumer confidence is the number one thing that advertisers and suppliers are trying to understand and affect and, and improve. And again, there's been decades of research on how to build brand confidence, brand loyalty with physical products and physical stores. And a lot of those same concepts can translate very seamlessly over the digital space with a little bit of translation, but the underlying principles uh, will still be the measures of successful retailing in the digital world. And that was a cool continuation on Tim's points on relevancy from our last episode. Relevancy. It's such an important word when it comes to auction dynamics. The reason we call it relevancy is, is really kind of the baseline definition. It's the algorithm deciding how relevant you are to serve on a query. And that is what determines your right to win and your cost within an auction. 
The last thing I asked Ryan about was how to measure success when it comes to organic search. And I actually almost stumped him. I was gonna just start rambling, but it's a very interesting question. It's really tough too, especially on Walmart. I think every supplier wants to improve their base and then layer on incrementality. Base is equivalent to organic search results and we define that as your share of voice. And the goal with share of voice is to get your items exposed to more shoppers and then have an in a similar increase in the amount of shoppers that choose to buy your item. Conversion rate is, is the most important factor to a search algorithm. Getting the item exposed is, is step one, but ensuring that conversion rate increases with volume rate is, is the most important piece. So how do we determine incrementality and how do we define success in organic search is that, again, you're appealing to the search engine to increase volume. And at the same time, you're tailoring your content to the shopper to convert at, at a increasing rate as well. Using paid search as a promotional tool is one of the fastest ways to increase your share of voice because you are paying Walmart to supersede its organic algorithm and promote your items to an inorganic place. Similar situation with organic optimization, you have to be prepared to deal with that increase in traffic and capitalize on it. If you simply show your product to more people who don't want to buy it and you force it on them at the top of the search grid, it's going to hurt the metrics that the algorithm is using to determine that organic relevancy. And on Walmart, much more so than on other search retailer search engines, your organic position, your inherent relevancy is so closely tied to how efficiently and how impactfully you can promote. That was a very, that was a really good answer. Thank you. You gave me a metric and you tied in the paid part <laughs> and how the paid relates to a metric. So it's been my life for the past two and a half years. So yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> I've had some practice. Well, I've had some practice figuring it out, getting better at, I guess, distilling it into a <laughs> that was understandable. digestible sentence. Yeah. Our threshold is if I understand it, we're doing a good job. Awesome. Lastly, we had to circle back to our digital wish list question. All right. We're going back to your digital wish list. What's that thing that you just won't actually buy? I would love to feel comfortable buying a really expensive piece of steak <laughs> online. That's okay, that's the okay. one thing that I will I still go to like Crowd Cow and like these, you know, online kind of butcher shops. I was in Seattle last week. There's ads all over the place in Pike Place Market to ship this fresh fish to your house. Great. Do I feel good about it sitting in in a box of ice for 48 hours and coming from Washington state to Arkansas? No. So my digital wish list is I want like a really fresh, well-marbled ribeye that was just butchered to show up at my doorstep. I like it. I mean, Challenge I don't. accepted? I, I don't because I'm a vegetarian, <laughs> but for the context of the podcast, I like it. Okay, last thing. What is your favorite part about living in Northwest Arkansas? Northwest Arkansas has been such an incredible opportunity for me to build a career, start a family, make a new place home. I grew up in the Northeast and a lot of my family lived there until I moved to Northwest Arkansas. And since then, a lot of them have vacated the Northeast in favor of less populated, not city-centric areas. And you know, we've all kind of seen the opportunity. When I moved to Northwest Arkansas 13 years ago, I didn't I needed to find it on a map. I needed to find Bentonville on a map. I didn't understand why rent was so low, why property values were low, why the cost of living was low. 
I still don't really understand it because like I said, it's an incredible positive benefit to living here and it really should be priced higher than it is. But don't tell anyone that it's this hidden gem that again, provides both me and my, my then girlfriend, now wife, took a leap of faith to move down here. And it's been rewarded in spades because the income that we make here goes so much further and we've been able to buy a house and save and build college funds for our kids. And that same amount of effort, that same amount of income wouldn't have gone as far in other places of the country. Do I miss going to Yankee Stadium and the Jersey Shore? Of course. But the positives have so far outweighed the negatives, both in terms of community, culture, in restaurants and art and shopping and stuff for the kids. It's just, it's just been amazing. And that concludes another episode of Mastering Mito, your podcast masterclass series for winning in e-commerce and specifically Walmart for this season. If you have enjoyed this series so far, please like, follow, subscribe, review, share, listen to all of our other episodes so that you and your colleagues can also become masters of Mito. To connect with me, you can find me at emma.erwinatessential.com. You can find everything you need to know about essential digital commerce at essential.com or via LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Klaus Cancel with sound design by Enos Satenji. Join us next time where we will wrap up our Walmart season talking about Walmart Marketplace. See you next time.